all my years of doing Canada's Pinball Podcast and in all of the different interviews I've done over the years on this show, I do think this interview might just spark the most reaction from people and from the pinball community. And, and I kind of feel like it's going to. So I, I really think you're going to enjoy listening to this a little bit over an hour interview with Robert Mueller over at Deep Root Pinball. And Robert has, has, has done me the favor of spending an hour and answering all of the questions I had about Deep Root, about Raza, about what the future holds. And I tried to capture uh, what I think are the big questions on everyone's mind as we move into 2020 and as we, as we sort of think about a world in which Deep Root Pinball Machines will become available to consumers, okay? Now, you know Robert speaks his mind. You know he doesn't hold back when he's talking about pinball companies and pinball personalities, okay? He kind of reminds me a little bit of myself at times uh, in, in terms of not caring what anyone thinks. He's going to tell you how he feels. Now, that doesn't mean I necessarily agree with his stances on everything, and I do think the one big thing I would love to see Robert sort of turn a page on is you're going to have to sell to the people in the pinball community and on the forums, right? There's no reason why you have to go on the offensive against them. Uh, but, you know, he sees it the way he sees it. And ultimately, what all of us want to do is judge a man or a woman, because it's 2019, by the game they make. Ultimately, that is what should speak volumes for your company. It's the game you make. And we've seen some of the game, right? It's a prototype, but we've seen some of the game. And as you hear, a lot of the game is there. So that game will be judged on its merits. And when they are ready to show us the final package, that's it. That's going to be uh, either worth the hype or not worth the hype. And we're going to be able to, as consumers, decide if this is worth it. If, this, if all the years were worth it, if this is a company we want to support, um, if this is a company that has done enough innovation to get your money, have they brought enough value into the pinball world to warrant your hard-earned dollars, okay? And that tale is not done yet. We are going to see more of what they have to offer come 2020, okay? So I think you're just gonna like have to listen to this interview, all right? But before I air it, I do need to wish an early birthday, okay, an early birthday to Paul, who is a listener of the show. Now, I was going to do it on Thursday when his actual birthday is, but Paul, the reason why I'm not doing that right now is because I kind of just want to let this interview stay up for a while and let it simmer and let people listen to it. But I'll say this, Paul, for your birthday, I got you an interview with Robert Mueller from Deep Root and that Nicole, she's awesome. You have an awesome girl, all right? So everybody, enjoy this interview with Robert Mueller. I am so sure it is going to spark conversation. We will talk more about what is said on this uh, interview at a later date. I don't like to talk after an interview that I do with somebody because I don't think that's fair to do it right after the show. Like Robert and I finish talking and then I'm gonna like do my summarization or summarize what he said now. This is, this is just the way it was. No editing on this show, no notes, no nothing. 
I just called him and we had an hour and 10 minute conversation and I'm going to play it for you right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome back to Canada's Pinball Podcast a very special guest um, coming to the show after a very big moment for uh, his his company, Deep Root Pinball. Welcome, Robert Mueller, back to Canada's Pinball Podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's uh, nice to be back, and um, it's nice to be able to actually talk about some stuff now instead of you know kind of say that we you know wait and see uh, what's going to happen in the future. So I'm looking forward to some great questions and maybe to clarify some things and um, ready ready to go whenever you are. Yeah, no, I think the word that comes to mind for most of us is finally we get to talk about something of substance over words, which is great, and we're going to have a good time talking about it. So I guess the first question I have for you, Robert, is just how does it feel to finally have something out there uh, in the world, even though it's a prototype? We will, we, will, we will confirm that. But how does it feel to finally pull some of the curtain back? Well, I think I have mixed feelings. Um, I think as uh, I, the Loser Kid um, pinball podcast, one of my answers there was kind of real. I think that I, I've been overwhelmed uh, in being delayed uh, by the time we launch in March uh, of next year, about a year. And, you know, sometimes I struggle to find that passion still uh, for pinball. And I know that uh, a lot of people inside the company have been wondering whether or not this year that we've been delayed um, will be worth it. Can we can we succeed in the grand vision uh, that we set out uh, on? And I think uh, in some ways this last weekend was a big confidence booster uh, that we can do it and that people um, will receive uh, a low bill type of machine like what we had, uh, let alone what we plan to unleash uh, in a couple months. So um, it, it's day by day, but uh, I've got a lot on my plate because pinball is one of just a few things that that I deal with on a daily basis. And so um, I'm relieved, but also uh, I realize that we still have a long ways to go. Right. So how, how has that been 2019? Because we know at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of excitement. And would you say a little bit of overconfidence in the ability to get stuff to market in, in 2019? Yeah, I know you love to uh, continue to uh, relive some of my comments from <laughs> Chicago Expo. Uh, 2018. And you know what? Look, I, I've, I've said a lot of brash things. Um, you know, I, as I said before, uh, I, I don't believe in the, you know, the phrase no regrets because there are, you know, regrets. Uh, I, I truly wanted to do everything that I promised and my team expected of uh, themselves and myself uh, when we made those statements at Expo. But uh, at the end of the day, someone had to, um, to take the bull by the horns and they had to make a hard business decision uh, about whether to show before we were ready. And um, it was tough. We took it definitely a, a PR hit for it. Um, but I'm hoping that in time when people get to enjoy what we've been working on and they can see why we delayed it a year and all the benefits of that delay, I think that uh, in the end, uh, all will be forgotten um, by most and um, we'll, we'll continue to make great uh, pinball designs for the world. Let's talk about Houston because I know that was a big moment and I know you guys struggled on whether or not it was too early to show. We'll talk a little bit about that and timing when it comes to showing stuff before uh, st stuff's available to buy. Um, but as far as the show went, Robert, what kind of feedback did you get and have you been reading the feedback around your game on the forums? No. Uh, when I left Pinside in July, it was probably the greatest thing uh, that I've ever done in pinball thus far. Um, it's an absolute sewer. 
uh, and uh, I want nothing to do with it. So any report I get from Pennside, I immediately disregard. Um, however, I will say that my team, uh, and there were quite a few Deep Root members there, are so grateful for all the people who came to Houston and played the game and gave positive comments uh, as well as con, you know constructive uh, criticism, and we've we've written all that down. We're uh, analyzing it and assessing it. A lot of it is just because we didn't explain what Raza was, what it was meant to be, what it was not meant to be, um, and because of its prototype state and what it will become. Some of the comments I think could be disregarded just for the fact that they're irrelevant. Uh, and when the full package uh, is is seen, that will become more evident. Um, but, um, we're, we're grateful for, for those comments and it's nice to have those real concrete things in the world that people can now have constructive, um, comments rather than, uh, assuming to, to no end. Right. Well, and there's a mixture of comments and just because you know me, I, I have to live on pin side or I don't have much content for the show. Uh, there's a mixture of comments from those who have played the game at Houston, right? And so those people obviously have an advantage to share an opinion because they've actually played the game. Um, but we also know the forum loves to give feedback, even if you've never played the game. Um, do you, have you instructed though, anyone on the deep root staff? Cause people have, and I'll say this, Robert, people have, uh, who played the game left some very detailed feedback. And, and I think most of it is very positive. So I, I think if you did take a peek, you, you would be pleasantly surprised that most people enjoyed playing the game at the show. So, um, does anyone is anyone trolling Pinside on the Deep Root team? They must. I mean, I know Dennis is on there. Dennis Norman's on there, even in the thread, I think. And so is David. Uh, I haven't heard from either one of them as to what they posted or what they saw. Um, I don't believe that anyone from the immediate team that I would normally get feedback um, is reading Pinside. Uh, I think that they feel pretty much the same way that most of the feedback is useless. Um, I have heard uh, quite a few of the pinball shows, and I think that right now, without the proper frame of reference, that I think a lot of the comments are all over the place, and uh, that a lot of what might be considered negatives um, are, are things that don't have perspective, right. uh, and assumptions are being made. And I think on the other side of that, there's a lot of positive comments. I know there's two or three that I've heard um, that definitely I'm thinking about making some modifications to um, to, to the game for a final. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So what kinds of feedback, uh, did the deep root team at Houston receive? Uh, was it, you know, what kind of things did you hear? So, uh, I'm in Utah right now. Um, so I'm not in San Antonio, uh, where, you know, the team members are. So I plan to get back there soon before the Thanksgiving break and get a more full report. But from the comments that, that I received over the weekend via, you know, email, et cetera, um, I think that a lot of the comments uh, coming back were very positive. Um, I think that uh, the machines uh, basically kept up with the pace and, and, the, and the pounding uh, better than I ever expected. Um, and so I can't be happier um, to, to hear that most of the comments were, hey, we like this, we like this, why did you do this, uh, uh, and things like that, versus more negative things on, hey, I can't get up the ramp. Uh, right. or, you know, it doesn't look like it has any innovations or, you know, this is way too, there's not enough flow. Those, those are just perspective issues that people don't really understand the, the, the foundation of what Raza is and what it's meant to be. And I will completely, uh, understand and, uh, those because we haven't explained yet what Raza is and what it's meant to be. 
Right. Now, let, let's talk about the ramp just a little bit because that was – I think it's one of the most visually – stunning things in the game and and we and j-pop when it comes to ramps always seems to try to push the envelope right of what's possible uh with a ramp in a pinball game and so i i, I think the feedback was like the ramp is really cool it, it just became enough power to get up the ramp is that something w- with the show uh did you guys turn the power down at all on the flippers or were you testing different flipper powers or will it be easy for people to hit that ramp and go all the way to the top or is that is it supposed to be something where you only hit it, uh, you know, maybe half the time? Yeah, correct. Uh, the purpose of the ramp is to be difficult. Um, th- this is not a flow game that all the other competitors keep force feeding down us with fan layouts and, and everything else. This I let J-Pop for the most part, you know, 80% of this is his passion, his homage to a bunch of other games uh, and to this weird, quirky kind of narrative, right? Uh, and theme. And so what we've done uh, with him and with all of our other designers is try to stand out of the way and let them, you know, just pour their passion out in that theme on that play field and take back those things and refine those things that really need to be refined. Um, The ramp has never been discussed internally. It's supposed to be hard. Um, I know uh, before both games left for Houston, uh, one ramp was a lot easier to make than the other. And when asked whether I wanted the other one tweaked, I said no, because I wanted to get um, some real world data on on the difference in the tolerances. And the problem with pinball is you right now is you typically have to talk about the location situation. Right. I played the game and this was working and this wasn't working. And we don't know if it was, you know, auto leveled or leveled at all. And and, you know, this might have been broken and stuff. And so what we want to do with Deep Root is we want to try to have the most consistent play amongst all our games in all different environment, environments. And so as a result, um, I made the decision to keep those ramps at different tolerances to kind of understand, uh, even at full power, and the, the, the flippers were at full power the whole time, um, what the shots would look like uh, and whether, you know, one third success rate is, is good or whether we needed to make some adjustments and go for more of 50 or 60 percent. But, you know, in-house, we've made the tolerances in, in multiple levels uh, to where you always make it uh, and to where it's, it's much more difficult. And so because this game is a precision game at that end of the spectrum, something that really hasn't been done a lot in recent years instead of a flow game, um, we decided to keep the you know the foundation and purpose of the game a precision game, meaning that it's not meant for a lot of beginners. It's meant for people who have ball control and have to work to get that flow and work to to hit up that ramp and to and to get the benefits. Because when you do, believe me, it is a satisfying feeling. Right, and, and we heard that from people when they when they nailed it. It was a very satisfying shot. Let me let me let me ask you about that though. So you're you're in terms of who this game is designed for are you saying it's designed more for a, a pretty medium to good level pinball player or versus the novice yeah absolutely all of our games and today you know we went over the first 21 games that we have planned over the next few years every game is going to be different it's going to be to a different demographic um, it's going to have a different theme a different style different types of mechs different play requirements uh, it's going to have different rule sets, uh, and all of those things going go into the deeper package, the deeper portfolio. 
And Raza is just the first one that we've showed just because it was really the first one we took most of the way. And so this is a J-pop game. It, it's very quirky. It's weird. It's whimsical. It, it's not an easy shooter for, let's say, a beginner. This is for um, someone who, who can do some ball control um, and not just bat it away as most people do uh, and can control the ball and create flow on their own and make shots when they need to make shots. And the great thing about, you know, Steve Bowden uh, in Quakedon, um is that they've done a great job of creating some simple rules for, you know, when beginners do get on so they can feel satisfied and, you know, get the zombie and maybe get a multi-ball, et cetera, and, you know, maybe a three to five minute ball time. But this game is really going to be the most satisfying by, by intermediate uh, or, you know, um, people who have a little ball control to advanced tournament players that really uh, can precision shoot a lot of these shots. Okay. That's really interesting because we haven't really seen another company sort of openly design a game for someone with a higher skill level. Um, but as you were saying, so you said 21 titles. I have to I have to go back to that. So how far along are you in development of those 21 titles? I mean, that's a lot. So when people hear that number, uh, are you guys, is that like two, three years down the road? Like how many titles a year? I, I know, Robert, We I don't want to get trapped into like a, a number per year, but like how far along are you with that many titles in development? I would say 13. We're probably 50% or more. Okay. Um, and the others uh, were probably 25, well, maybe as low as 10 to 15, but 25 to 50%. Um, we, we haven't sat around on our hands the last few years and just done Raza. Um, we've been very busy. And um, I think that uh, it's going to help make each of these titles that come out the best that they are for what they're meant to be. Right. And we understand that's not going to come out just yet until launch. And, you know, everyone can see why we're doing what we're doing. Um, but um, Raza has its special place, right? Uh, it's got a lot of history, both positive and negative. And so it was a great opportunity to have a J-pop theme like that, finally see the light of day in a more final form and really get something that is more precision play than flow being tested on location. Uh, so we can really see that a harder game like this, how are people going to approach it? Right. What's the positive history on Raza, if you don't mind me asking? Because it, 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 you know, it didn't really develop back in the day. Yeah, I think Raza is an homage. I mean, this this is J-Pop's, as any designer would do and, and, and have done before. This is his homage to, you know, Ausler. Uh, and um, like Hurricane and Cyclone um, to, you know, the zombie slash, you know, kind of 50s weird alien kind of homage that we've seen in right. some other games like, you know, Attack from Mars, etc. This is just a quirky kind of J-pop on a plate um, right. sort of game. Let um, and I can tell you, I played it when it played like crap. And I've played it where uh, it plays more like better, like what we showed in Houston. And the game is, is fun. To me, you know, I, I appreciate what J-Pop puts into his games and, and the shots there and making me a better player by being more precision than flow. Because as I said before, I kind of like flow, but beginners like flow because it's easy. It's mindless. It's it's like, you know, playing a game on your and zombieing out on your on your phone. And this is more of a quirky precision shot type game. And so I love different types of games. That's why Williams Valley days with all the different designers and all the great themes and and elements and world under glass that are so beloved they're so different 
right. is that each one was its own world, its own gameplay, and you stand over it and you look at the inserts and the artwork and the and the lanes and the mechs and you go, wow, th- how am I going to approach this game versus the last game? And so, you know, if, if you stand over Raza and see it for what it is, right, uh, as a J-pop game, a part of the Deep Root portfolio, I think that you'll have a lot of appreciation for it. If you compare it to sort of what I consider the lackluster and thoughtless kind of titles that we've seen recently uh, from from other competitors, I, I think that uh, you missed the point. Right. So uh, that that's that's what we want to convey. Something, uh, yeah. I, I want to what you just said. I want to ask you a question about that because something that was said back in May was basically, and I want to pull up. I have, I have the actual commentary but i just want to read it word for word because i just think it's interesting to compare what we saw at houston to um you said that you did not want to um compete with other pinball manufacturers and churn out the outdated and uninspired pinball packages right as as is seen in the market today and i know that you said that the prototype we would see is on par right with where company games are today right so i guess the question robert is just is there going to be, how are you going to sort of fill in the gap between this prototype and sort of delivering on that innovation? And I think that leap forward people were expecting to see at Houston. So is there going to be a big leap forward with the final product? I, I think it's tough sometimes. Um, you know, I, I will say that um, I promised a lot and I think over time a lot will be delivered uh, and appreciated for what it is. But uh, the, the problem in pinball is it's dysfunctional and um, people sometimes lose the forest for the trees. Uh, there's a lot of it, it's sort of um, a, a microcosm of the greater age of outrage that we have uh, in, in society as a whole. And it's much more magnified in pinball. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be haters of deep roots, haters of what we've designed. And they don't think it's in, innovative enough. Uh, and I think that there will be other people who can't wait um, to to pay money to uh, have their homes graced by a different take on on pinball, and that's what we're about is is completely different takeover portfolio of games. So in a year from now, after we've you know released a couple of games, you can see sort of what we're doing. Um, I think that that's a great question to come back to, and and maybe see what what you think and what uh, how the pinball community thinks about how we're approaching uh, both designing. Uh, and creating a portfolio of, of deep root games that each one are innovative in of itself, but but you know kind of come together as a as a very unique hodgepodge portfolio. Right. Something I, I said in one of my shows recently was this does feel and it is it's it's a J-pop game, right? And he's been working on this game for a while. Is it fair to say, Robert, that this game? Um, Raza, you guys, you know, you guys actually unraveled what's in John's mind and made a working game, which is a miracle in itself. If you followed uh, the, the Zidware story, would you? Is it fair to say that this is, you know, you sort of gave John a platform to to get a working game out there that has all of J-pop's quirkiness, but this isn't the full representation of what Deep Root will be a year from now. Yeah, I think it really depends. It's sort of like, you know, when, when people equate my comments for Ferrari and, you know, a Pinto, they, they equate that with lowest price ever, right? They, they don't equate that with how I meant it and how I've, you know, continued to clarify where we talk about value at every level. So I think in answer to your question here about J-pop and, and, and Raza, I think it really depends on how you define and how you look for innovation, right? 
the game as you saw it, uh, sans, you know, sort of the play-filled artwork, which is not the final play-filled artwork, uh, and definitely the cabinet artwork is was just placeholder. Uh, most of the mechs, most of the layout uh, is 95% complete. And so when we talk about innovations, it might not be, hey, there's this groundbreaking thing that's on the play field and it's never been seen before because there's maybe one or two on there. It, it's sort of the whole world, right? It's putting these homage and all of these things that were unique on all these other games together in one playable package uh, and experience. This user experience is what we're after rather than rather than talking about innovations now a lot of the innovations that we're talking about will be internal will be aesthetically looking in the cabinet and will be how deep root games are are used um, for decades to come those types of innovations were not on this package we're not on display in houston um, but as far as raza the game is concerned 95 percent of what you saw less the artwork and toys will be in the final raza uh, cabinet Gotcha. And so the the cabinet itself, uh, is that the Deep Root cabinet or no? That is not the Deep Root cabinet. Uh, it's something that was uh, we wanted to do to be familiar, uh, though I, d I do like because they did the Cylon looking, you know, kind of grill because um, uh, they know I'm into Battlestar Galactica. Right. And uh, I thought it looked really, really sexy, um, but uh, it, it would not make our final uh, deep root package. Okay. Um, if we ever released a package like this, it would be a, a lower end model uh, that would be stripped down for for price only. Well, and that's the thing I've been I've been calling people. You know me on my show, I call everybody suckers on this show. But I've been calling people crazy for thinking this thing a J pop game, which I've always looked at J pop games as sort of works of art that are playable, that are like to your point just kind of quirky different and it's it's j-pop like right it's hard to even explain uh but he was you know these games were selling for a lot of money when he was only making a hundred razas and we know magic girl was selling for sixteen thousand. Are, are are people way out of bounds when they think this thing's going to come in at the price of a stern pro or lower i think that um i i'm, I'm frustrated um I understand how some people um, kind of viewed my comments about value to mean that we're going to sell all of our games for 3000 bucks, which is why I've continued to clarify that um, it's, it's about value rather than price. Right. And I'm frustrated that our game at Houston in the shape it was, was likely uh, had more value in it than a $15,000, you know, Elvira. Um, signature edition, and maybe with some touch-ups, uh, a collector's edition Wonka. And so, for people to say, "Well, it's not going to be worth anything unless um, you know it's 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 priced as a Stern Pro," um, I think is a problem because we have had for years now pinball pe uh, uh, consumers throw crazy amounts of money for no value at all, and yet they expect Deeproot to put all of this value in there. And expect us to 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 cheap it and out, right? And we're not we don't, we're not deserving of charging more money, and so it puts us in a very difficult position of how we approach uh, marketing and how we approach pricing, uh, and and our competitors in determining what we're going to do uh, at, at the end of the day. Right. And so um, I'm personally going to make that decision, and I'm digesting how pinball consumers are are using their money. 
and I'm going to make a decision about uh, about what they're doing and what we're doing and, you know, where the competition is and and where those price points are going to be at the end of the day. Right. Let me get, I, I, I want to give you a little advice because I think it would help. I, I do think a lot of your buyer base might be on the forum of <laughs> Pinside because they are the enthusiasts and the collectors as well. Because that's that's the other question I have is. We see games, and you brought up Elvira, and I've been slamming Elvira's signature edition for a really long time, right? People paid $5,000 more and got nothing in the game, and yet it sells out in, in a few hours. And it, 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 almost, it, it almost leads me to believe that pinball buyers and collectors don't deserve much if they run after that stuff. So as you're looking at it, Robert, one of the, I think, key factors in, in sort of figuring out where you price a game is how many of the games you make, right? So... In your mind, are you thinking about this J-pop game as a mass market game or as a game that you'll keep limited and almost like a, a special rare thing for the discerning J-pop collector out there? How, how are you envisioning volume in terms of how you might price it? So um, in this respect, I'm going to keep some things close to uh, my chest uh, and wait for the reveal because there'll be a more... A meaningful marketing plan and why we're going to price and, and additions that we might have and you know uh, in each of these titles uh, right. as we get there. But I'll answer it this way. Um, I think that each title has its own purpose in this world and it has its own audience and its own consumer base. And um, something like a J-pop game, which uh, has a lot in it, I think should be priced accordingly. Um, and what we're trying to do, um, is we're trying to price things according to the value they bring in the grand scheme of the entire market. And so there will be some games that will be priced very high. Um, and we'll see if the market is receptive to that. And if not, then we'll, we'll make adjustments and we might price things well under market and we'll have to raise the price just because we won't be able to keep up with, uh, you know, supply with demand. Right. But as far as, you know, as, as what you're going into as what you're you know discussing as far as how we view pricing and value uh, in in the grand scheme of things, um, it's hard for it's hard for me to to say any more about that given how pinball consumers are actually spending their money right now because it is counterintuitive and it's very difficult to 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 make that decision right now without getting a few months down the road and seeing if they're going to continue to spend their dollars in the same way that they have been the last half of this year. Right. Now, and we talk a lot of, on this show about the hype window, right? And and you've, you must watch how Stern does it, how Jersey Jack does it, how Spooky does it. Everyone has a different approach in, in terms of how to create that sort of feeding frenzy uh, when a game becomes available for sale. And so... I'm I'm just curious to see how you guys do it. Uh, I'd be happy to talk offline, Robert, too, and give you some some of my thoughts on it because I do think this J-pop game. I think you're right. I think it's a unique game that has a unique target, and it's not necessarily a mass market game. Um, and I think if you hit the right target with the right amount of games at the right price, it becomes something special in the pinball world versus something that's just you know there's too many of them and then it doesn't feel like you have to get one. And then all of a sudden you're like dead on arrival with, 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 with the game reveal. Um, question for you. So what was the decision to put Raza in front of magic girl? We have something very special planned for magic girl. And, um, uh, 
the the time and the money that it's going to take to accomplish that um, doesn't make sense in the early uh, launch uh, months of deeper pinball. Okay. Uh, and so, and the same goes for Alice in Wonderland. And so, um, Raza became uh, an easy, um, an easy first option along with a couple other titles to to start with for that very reason. And um, you're right. I mean, I don't think that uh, we're going to launch Raza and sell you know thousands of Razas. You know, that's just just not going to happen. It is it is a more niche game. But it's going to be a beloved game by enough um, pinball consumers to, you know, to profit and pay for the development time uh, of it and to move on to the next title. Right. Uh, some of which the very first titles will be uh, very large volume sellers. OK. And so um, we're, we're, it's not lost on us that Raza is a very unique start and it's not meant to. Uh, launch, you know, deep root and suddenly make us, you know, profitable and pay back all the years of R&D. It's not what it's meant to do. Right. Question about the game in terms of do will there be multiple tiers of Raza or one version? All of our games will have one to three versions. Okay. But it will be different than what any of the other competitors um, uh, are doing right now. In, in what uh, way? We think. Right, right now we have like the pro premium LE model, right? You've got the pro, which strips stuff out. You've got the premium LE, which is normally the same game with, with just cosmetic differences. So you're saying you'll take a different approach to that if you have three tiered? Yeah. Each title will be treated differently. And some of them we might just have one. Uh, tier and some of them we might have up to three tiers, but the tiers I think uh, and I hope will be seen as a more fair and valued approach um, to people on deciding which of those might might be there with like a two and three tier one. Wait, you might actually give us like unique code inside a game that costs three thousand more. Uh <laughs> I think that that would be the simplest and easiest and most fair for us to do. I think that there will be a lot more that will be involved. And giving uh, pinball consumers value upon value more than they could have ever imagined. Right. And the most important question uh, for in 2019 will there will there be a topper included with Raza or part of the Raza package? There might be uh, a tier of Raza that would have a topper that I absolutely flipped out when I saw the engineering uh, model of. Awesome. It awesome. Flipped out in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. No, we need toppers. So, Robert, you talk a lot about and and and. I know we're probably going to see more of this, but the innovation happening underneath the game that we haven't seen yet, are, 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 what can we expect? Are, are these games going to be easier to service? Are they going to be more reliable? Is it, are we going to have to, can we put the soldering iron away forever? Like any, yeah. <laughs> all I mean, of the you above. can tell me without spoiling your, your reveal. I, yeah, all of the above. And I, I said this in a recent uh, interview is that when I first got my Williams Valley collection, I had, tons of questions about why this why that why is it so hard how do i need to learn how to solder vertically uh why does this keep breaking why do leaf switches suck you know um and and don't work even if they're brand new uh why is this you know type of mech used why why is this unreliable most of the time why does this machine at, at my house play like this but i go to my office and play the same title and it can play 
you know, place completely different. I think all of these frustrations and observations that I had and in and, and working with, you know, Ben Heck and Charlie and J-Pop uh, and Dennis and, and Greg Ferris in the early years and talking with them about their thoughts uh, and stuff um, helped me over time get to the point where we started uh, in 2017 with uh, a deep root package plan uh, that went from thoughts and innovations high in the sky, you know, pie in the sky sort of stuff to actual a real business plan that we've been working on for years. And while it's a mystery, uh, there were a lot of innovations in those two games in Houston that people did not see and will not see that we needed to test. We needed to really see, are these going to be at the level that DeepRoot uh, and our warranty and how we back games are, are they going to be there? And I, I can only say that, that the feedback I got was everyone was just, you know, blown away with how well things stood up. We have some, you know, action points that we need to continue to work on and refine over the next few months, but we're really happy about it. Right. Um, let's talk lighting. So I heard some feedback that the games were a little bit dark at Houston. Will the deep root cabinets, will they address the the lighting things we hear all the time in this hobby, right? How, you know, I... It's amazing that Penn Stadium has such a big business model going on, how easy it seems to, to light up a cabinet with, with an LED strip. What, are we going to see unique lighting in the Deep Root platform? Yeah, that was the first, one of the first things that I, I put into the Deep Root package years ago. Um, and uh, it's one of many things um, that, that just comprised the package that we've tried to do standard to try to improve the user experience. Okay. And the artwork on Raza. Now, we, I thought we were going to see just like a white wood with like mechs on it. I, I didn't even think we'd get as much as we got at Houston. So who's doing the art package for Raza? Yeah, all of the art animations done by uh, the very talented um, folks up in Utah um, that uh, are in Deep Root Studios. Okay. And uh, the artwork that we got from uh, Matthew and Jeremy uh, was was pretty much a hack job. And so as we relooked at the narrative uh, for Raza specifically, um, we basically took out what wasn't working uh, from a 2D perspective on the play field and reinserted uh, the new narrative and characters, et cetera. And we did uh, the same with a lot of the artwork that Matt did, uh, or Matthew did, and um, touched it up, created you know additional artwork that needed to be there and believe it or not internally raza artwork is a complete hack job because because of that but i think that most people as i saw and i think that i would personally uh, my personal opinion would be it's still better than any other animations that's ever been on a pinball machine um and so um we're we've continued to refine the raza package uh, you know, I my favorite of the three artwork um, packages that we have behind the scenes right now is called Nebula. Uh, that's the that's the you know the the R and D uh, name for it, and I really love it. And I think that um, some other people like um, one of our other types of uh, artwork. Um, and so it's going to be very interesting coming down because I'm I'm very much against uh, using artwork to sell pinball machines. Um, and so the question is, are we going to allow and offer multiple artwork packages um, for cons uh, for customers or not? And that's something that's still up in the air. And we'll probably make a decision on that right before launch. Um, but we have some great art packages to look at. The one that was seen at Houston was a very early edit uh, that was done back in 2000. 
uh, at the end of 2017. So it, it is something to to put on there to kind of get um, some basic uh, uh, ideas about what's on the play field as far as, as far as art. But there has been a lot more refinement of that artwork and the plastics right. around it. Well, what do you mean a hack job, though? Because people did really like the the zombie Yeti work that he did. I, I know the big issue was like there's a lot of IP infringement. You had Robbie the robot. You had the attack from Mars. You had Godzilla was on the, I think, on, you know, on the play field and, and cabinet artwork. Do you just mean like the quality we're going to see is going to be above and beyond that? Um, well, I, I think you saw some of the early changes that we made um, to the, to Jeremy's art package right uh, on the play field. And Jeremy is a great 2D artist um, and um, with with strong lines and stuff like that. And so what we tried to do was uh, all that we made to try to pay homage to what he started, but um, change the world and the narrative as we needed to do to as we continue to develop the Raza world. Okay. Now, interesting. So you're saying that you guys are actually considering there might be an opportunity for a consumer. This has never been done before to actually pick possibly the playfield artwork that goes on the machine they order i think there's going to be a lot of customizations that uh consumers will will have uh with deeper uh, the deeper package okay um very cool i mean that hasn't been done before it, in terms of i guess you know probably the main reason is when it comes to ordering parts which is something have you run into that because i think the biggest the, the next big question is manufacturing right i mean it's always the it's always the elephant in the room when it comes to launching a pinball company. At what stage, Robert, do you have to tell people, pencils down, we now need to transition into how do we manufacture these? Or have you been planning for manufacturing all along that you won't run into the same issues that other companies have when it's come to uh, manufacturing pinball machines? Yeah, so I answered uh, in a recent interview the same question. So let me, let me make two points uh, about that uh, and reiterate. First, manufacturing always has um, the same foundational issues, right? And those dealing with inventory and problems you didn't expect and problems you did and waste and labor and, and cost and delays and all of those things are always going to be there. We can try to minimize them by using many uh, engineering pipeline and, and manufacturing uh, processes or theories uh, or, or, or stuff like that. Um, that aside, uh, that every manufacturer has to deal with, um, we have from the beginning um, and everything we've done, try to this and we use, you know, the, the step gate um, process and a lot of what we do from an engineering standpoint. What we try to do is look at uh, as we go through the gates, um, what is going to be required for manufacturing, um, going through the analysis uh, of, of how it will look, what will be there. What do we need to minimize? How do we need to design something now to minimize, uh, for instance, waste and, and other complications uh, and inventory problems? So all of that has been going all this time through all these years uh, and talking about the entire process. And while I've had fun with quad manufacturing and octo manufacturing and stuff like that, um, uh, it, it doesn't take away from the real work we've been doing behind the scenes to try to minimize um, some of those very real and very common things that happen in the manufacturing process. Okay. Now, when does, is manufacturing set up right now or when do you expect to give it a test run, right? At what point do you actually have to get the line going and, and get 
all of those people who are going to be building these games, uh, you know, making them to see if, if you guys can do it in, 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 a, in a timely manner. I think that's tough because a lot of what we've done, even including, you know, building the games for Houston, we've been testing out uh, different assembly uh, and manufacturing uh, techniques. Uh, we've been timing things. We've been making notes of what's working and what's not working. Uh, we're, we're refining engineering. Uh, and, uh, you know, because for a manufacturing line, you typically have to boil down the instructions to a fourth grade level. Uh, for especially for the assembly process, we've been doing that to make sure that we can convey to a line worker, you know, what needs to be done, what tolerances are okay and what's not okay, what's special with this game that we know is a problem going into the manufacturing process that needs special attention, uh, an extra, you know, tender love and care. And so all of these things we've been doing along the way. So some of our assembly and some of our heavy manufacturing is already set up and we're testing and we're refining things. And some of it is not. And I think as we turn the year and start to finalize a lot of those things and start to uh, run um, consistency and tolerance tests through a line, we're going to find out really quick uh, and be able to what's working, what's not working in the final kind of approach and, and start to make those um, those um, edits. But it, it, I'm not uh, um, deluding myself that we will not through the end of 2020 continue to refine the manufacturing process and deal with problems both that we can catch in-house and even things that might go into you know consumers uh houses and trying to refine that process and make it better and better um and that's what we're about is, is delivering the best valued product um that's consistent and built well for decades to come to the consumers and we're going to work very hard to make sure that happens and as my comments about playfields uh, have been very clear where I stand on that, um, we're going to back it up with with uh, with our, our pledge and, and our, our money and our time. So the, the sledgehammer comment is. Oh, no, that, no, no, Chris, we, we need to go to jackhammers now. Jackhammers not good enough. But, but you said it. But you also said recently it is made out of wood. So, yeah. OK, I'm trying to figure out how this is going to work. Uh, but, I, I think. I think a lot of the play fields and clear code issues that have come up, uh, I think there's been some some crazy comments uh, by people who thought they were experts. And I think that there's been actually some very uh, thoughtful um, comments that have come out. And I think that uh, both the type of wood, the age of the wood, um, the type of wood or substrate being used, how it's processed prior to the clear coat, how the clear coat is processed and what type of clear coat and and how, uh, you know, um, well, I'm not going to go into any more detail and give away some of our secrets, but um, and then how how that's cured and, and the time to consumer uh, or assembly and then to consumer, all of those things play into it. It's not like it's one thing. Uh, it is a grand recipe. That's why you could have a thousand people, you know, bake a chocolate cupcake and all of them will taste slightly different. Some will be better than others. Um, because it's, it's the entire ingredients that go together and are then baked into a luscious cupcake, right? right. Now, are you, are, are you guys making your play fields or, or are you outsourcing to someone who you feel confident can deliver, uh, you know, the, the most premium product when it comes to play fields? Because that's been a huge issue for people in 2019 that has people holding on to their money. So, okay. First, I'm, I'm confused by consumers who continue to, uh, be outraged by it, yet continue to spend money on it. Um, 
I understand they don't have a lot of other options at this point, uh, but still, it's not like you have to go out and just uh, let money, you know, burn a hole in your pocket and, and just blow it. Um, when you have, and you will have a, a much better option to go to. So on the one hand, I'm kind of confused by that as I study, you know, the market and consumer, you know, psychology and, and why they're doing what they're doing. But on the other hand, um, we're determined um, to to live by the standard that we're setting. And by, by using wood, because wood is still the best, in my opinion, the only real option for a, a pinball play field surface. And we're going to continue to to refine that in-house to make sure that when we put a good warranty on it and we take a hammer to it. Um, and, of course, I was joking about, you know, the sledgehammer and the jackhammer, but even a hammer to it to show how we've developed and engineered our play field to withstand those common things that you're going to get with every other competitor by doing it in-house, whereas before we were going to go with Mirko, I'll just be honest with it, but after the, the latest fiasco, I, I just can't. I can't trust. And it's not just Mirko, right? I, I know he's trying, and he's got a really nice process set up, and, you know, it's just, it's a it's a whole recipe of, of issues. But we can't, we can't let that happen with Deep Root. It, it's got to be brought in-house. It's got to be done right. And, you know, Sean Gibson, who is, you know, one of my greatest assets uh, has spent years um, thinking and developing and testing how we're going to do this. And many of the options he's brought to me all withstand a hammer strike. In fact, when we got the Mirko boards and one of them was at Houston, uh, they pulled them out and you could still smell the clear. And I said, give me a hammer. And I took a hammer to it. And oh, my goodness, it was the crater. It was just a crater. I mean, the, there was no there was no missing it. And so um, I then took out one of Sean's uh, test play fields and slammed it with a hammer and not a dent. You couldn't even see that I hit it. Are we never going to have dimples on a deep root game? Uh, well, what's funny is you could basically draw. Our test is, and I don't know what the exact height, it's a couple of inches, but that's the equivalent of the greatest force that could come down with a pinball uh, as it slaps against the glass or something else on the thing. And I can tell you from the first time we plunged a ball on the Mirko boards, or you, you plunge it on a spooky game, a stern game, an AP game, or anything, you're going to get instant dimples. And, or a JJP game, et cetera. Um, and with our play fields, uh, tests, we, we basically, with hammer, don't even get a dimple. We don't get a scratch. We don't get a scuff. We don't get anything. And that's the type of deep root quality that we want to provide. I, I think that's, I think, that's music to everyone's ears. And it's, it's amazing to me how so much, because you know this, Robert, people collect these things and they spend a lot of money on them. And as you talk about the value proposition, uh, having a play field that's not going to fall apart in front of your eyes, sometimes right out of box for some of these new games coming out has been. No, real. no, no, Chris, it's worse than that. I guarantee you pull any manufacturer right now, whether they're doing it in house or not, and you drop a ball from three inches which is probably less than what the strongest strike could be, every one of them will dimple. And I'm sorry, that's an engineering uh, defect, and Deep Root is not going to put up with that, and we're just going to be different. And we'll let them continue to, to churn those play fields out, whether they do them in-house or whether they you know, try to engineer better, and we hope they do, but Deep Root will be different, and I'm banking my company uh, on those, those types of values and, and quality propositions for consumers and right. pinball. Robert, do you do you feel like you have your George Gomez over at Deeper, like the the guy that's sort of 
seeing all these moving parts and, and has experience knowing what it takes to sort of foresee the hurdles in pinball and is just keeping everything going? I think I have a lot of uh, different types of people. I mean, I think that um, I, I know you've mentioned it and, and other people kind of see that there's there's one or two people um, that that basically have to keep the ship you know, formation uh, uh, tight, you know, mm -hmm. and what I find and is very difficult in my, uh, what I do is I get everyone into formation. Then I look the other direction and, and they've come out of formation and I get them back in formation. I look back to where I was and they've come, it's a constant yo-yo. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to take credit for, for much in deep root because I have an amazing staff of people in Texas and in Utah and contractors across the country that do an amazing job. But at the end of the day, there has to be the captain. Uh, there has to be the someone that this, that that uh, understands the buck stops here, that is willing to say no and is willing to say yes, and is is basically there to to motivate people and to threaten people, right? And to challenge people and to reward people. And that uh, at this point has has landed on my desk. And sometimes it's very difficult, and sometimes. Uh, it, it's very easy, um, but it doesn't take away from the very talented people at, in every aspect of, of Deep Root Tech and Deep Root Pinball and Deep Root Studios that are pounding out amazing things on a daily basis and that have passion and that are there, um, you know, to create the best pinball experience ever created for for the pinball community. Right. So how are how are the investors feeling right now? Are they are they on board for the long run? Because it, it's been longer than there are no investors in pinball, and this this is what I mean. I just let people just spout off. Right. Um, nobody understands how we work, and and the more they try to act like they're the experts on everything, the the more I laugh because the the more wrong and asinine they sound. So um, there there are no investors in pinball. Uh, it's 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 company money. It's it's my money and. You know, I, I find that, you know, even when people say, well, oh, my gosh, you know, they're blowing all this a month and they're never going to be able to make it back. And I just I just laugh because it's obvious that the more they try to convince themselves and others about all of this, the the less they they're in reality. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some other universe. And you know, at the end of the day, it's not their money. Right. Right. Robert, a year from now, what do you hope people think and feel about Deep Root Pinball? Um, I hope that uh, the people who want to care um, can see that we came through and we delivered some amazing experiences, very different, unique experiences, but, but experiences, and um, that they're excited about uh, everything new that we bring to the market, um, that we're not going to come out with the same experience over and over again, uh, that everything will be fresh, everything will be new, and um, but at the core is that value and that quality that we want to keep for decades to come. And in terms of the other designers, who can you tell us whose game we might see next after J-pop? Uh, yeah, I think that I want to be fair to all the designers because all of their games are very unique to, to that designer. Right. Uh, and all of them want their games out there and they want the praise and the laud, et cetera. Um, that comes with it. And, you know, everyone understood from the beginning that J-Pop's game would be first. And um, but they're all different. Right. John Norris still works for another company and he still, you know, just does pinball in uh, in his spare time. And so uh, as a result, you know, there might not be as much coming from John Norris. 
Uh, Dennis Nordman has some great designs coming. Uh, I know he really wants them to see the light of day, and they will very shortly. And, you know, Asler is just a machine. I mean, if he if I let him loose, he could create a pinball machine design every month. So he's he's more of a machine and just gets the basics right. And, you know, it just it feels like Barry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, J-Pop the same. I mean, it takes him a lot longer. He's working on two other titles right now um, that are not Magic Girl or Alice in Wonderland. Uh, one's a licensed title, one's not. And they're they're just classic J-pop. And so all of these these different passions and and personalities that that we saw back in the great William Valley days, I want to bring back. I want there to be very unique titles that that don't look like each other. Right there. They they speak to that designer's dreams and goals uh, with that theme. Right. You know, you talked a little bit about in 2019, there was a little bit of a period of you, you've started this thing, right? You've, you've, you've decided to make a pinball company. Um, and there is there was that period of maybe anxiety of can we get this all done? And I know you still have a, a road to go to get the game to production. How do you feel now? Do you feel remotivated coming out of Houston? And do you feel good that we're, you're going to get those deadlines hit for, for 2020? I think right now, Robert, you're saying a March reveal, and then sometime shortly after, there'll be Roz's available to buy? Uh, at a minimum, yes. Um, I don't know if I'm remotivated. I know a lot of my employees are. Um, this, th- it wasn't the only thing, because there were a lot of other reasons why we did Houston uh, instead of you know either backing out of it or not doing it and just waiting to launch. But I think one of the biggest, most important things is as, as the captain, as a commander, I needed to show... Uh, my troops a win. And and this was a win uh, internally. And morale is, is is really high in Texas right now. And um, and they they deserve all the praise in the world for for pounding it out and, and meeting a deadline and showing off something I think that just blew off most people's socks, even if they don't want to admit it. And so for me, um, I think it's a little different for me. It's the first of many steps to come, and I feel relieved because there were a million things that could have gone wrong, um, you know. And I'm not worried about the the you know the crappy videos and the color problems because it was not meant to to be any of that, right? Um, and you know, I I know I I did watch a couple of them, and they weren't the greatest, and you know, a lot of them were just batting the ball around and not you know showing it. Then I I look at you know Jeff uh, Tiolis's, uh, and he he did a great job. Uh, he's a good player. He showed what Raza could really be. If you if you have some good ball control uh, on his Facebook um, you know video post, and you know for me that was that was a win, right? He understood, uh, and other people who played it and we heard that feedback understood what they were doing, what they, they understood what the concept of Raza was, and, and it was more precision and and knew how to approach it. And so uh, for me, it was a relief because there was a million things that could have gone wrong, but they didn't. Uh, we accomplished all of our goals and even more. I got a re-energized team. We've got a couple months till we show the world uh, what we're going to do. And um, we're going to pick up on this success and we're going to have another one and another one after that and another one after that. Right. And so relief is is really what I feel right now. Does does Raza go back in the bag now? Or are we going to see it out on location again being tested over the next few months? You know, that's a good question. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I hadn't even thought about it. Uh, I hadn't intended to put it out. Um, but, um, we might, um, I, I don't know. I think we got all of the, the data testing and feedback that we really wanted. So I don't see that there's any benefit from doing that. Um, but, um, 
I don't know. That that's a good question. I mean, you can you could send one to New York. I'll, I'll happily <laughs> put it in my bedroom. Um, Robert, you know, I thank you for taking the time. We're, we're right up upon the hour. And I know that this has been a, a long road. I know there's still some road to go before getting uh, games out there. Walk us through what's next. So the the plan is to have a a sort of media event in Deep Root Auditorium right before TPF, correct? That's correct. Now, is that the beginning of some have speculated? And I have to ask you as, as a marketer, is that the beginning? Are those going to be five days of deep roots starting in the middle of the week going through that Sunday? Uh, I, I think we will still have uh, five days of deep root. Uh, I think that um, it's very observant. Um, I think when I've talked to Ed uh, about TPF uh, and unsure about whether we wanted to show up, whether we wanted to launch around there, it became more and more evident that we did not want to launch at TPF, right? Um, we, I know you're gonna you're gonna laugh as most people were. Look, I I have a lot of criticisms of our competition, but I know how hard pinball can be behind the scenes, and I respect them, and all the artists and and the, the designers and the people who put um, so much work and effort. And recently, internally, I had to apologize to some of my employees because we we hired someone who was a long uh, time Stern staffer. And, you know, I made a comment during an internal meeting about uh, about one of the machines he had a mech in. And I realized that sometimes, you know, I kind of get away with myself and and I forget that, you know, all the hardships and the struggles and the, even the successes we've had internally are, are, are have been shared by companies who have failed and companies that still exist. And so uh, at the end of the day, um, I'm, I'm going to continue to criticize where I see see problems, but. I also have to, uh, at the at the end of the day, also respect the the good things and the right things that a lot of these other manufacturers are doing. So our launch event um, in, in March is to lay out the vision, the plan. Okay. And um, and TPF just happens to be, uh, a, a, you know, icing on the cake that we get to go out and everyone just gets to just have fun and relax and and just uh, just enjoy the events rather than creating uh you know a launch at the event and and being under that pressure right well robert let me ask you because i, I think if someone listens to this and and i i personally love your brazen candid no 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 holds barred approach to talking about your company but you know it might not seem necessary to go on the attack with the competition and just you know make your own amazing game and let it speak for itself but what types of stuff are you impressed when you look at a Stern pinball or a Jersey Jack pinball? Are there things about those companies that you are impressed by and that might be worth emulating a little bit because they, you know, especially Stern, who's probably shipping 10,000 plus games a year. What, what types of stuff does Stern do that you think is, is good? Yeah. So let, let me, let me preface that by I've paid Stern tens of thousands of dollars for games. I've paid Jersey Jack tens of thousands of dollars for games and I've paid Spooky tens of thousands of dollars for games. And so I've supported each of these manufacturers. And as a personal customer, and most of my opinions, uh, I've tried to uh, frame uh, when it comes to my experience with their machines as a, as a customer of theirs. Uh, you're right. There's been some things that I've, I've had fun with. I mean, all of these games uh, are played either at my house or at one of our two locations by our employees and loved. Right. Uh, and they're also heavily hated and criticized for many of the very things that we're trying to solve in our deep root package. So it's not like we're, 
we're just, you know, spouting off and, and taking cheap shots. We're, we're going to walk the walk. And I think that most of what we're going to show on our launch day is going to be point after point after point after point where we saw a weakness or something that the competition refused to fix or do. And we're doing it because right. it needs to be done. And so um, at the end of the day, you're right. I take I take some shots at them. And I think some of them they they write out deserve. But at the end of the day, I've also put my money where my mouth is by spending a lot of time fixing those problems and also spending time supporting those companies. Right. And, you know, one of these days, I hope, you know, some of those companies might support Deeproot and and buy a game from us. If, even if they don't, I'm still going to buy their games for the games that make sense. In, in one of your recent interviews, you talked about licensing of your innovations and have you guys filed patents for things that you think other pinball companies are going to see and want to license from you guys? I think, you know, at the beginning that when you talk about almost 200 innovations, as you break them down, um, it's just not legally possible to just lock it all up. So I think over time, what we've done is looked at, okay, what, what would make the most sense to lock down, right? And, and not try to be litigious. And, and the things that are going to be uh, the greatest competitive advantage to us that we would not want a competitor copying or or doing something similar. And I think that, you know, when you boil those down, that's probably down to, you know, 5, 10, 15 patents. It really depends how, how you break them down. Um, and when we talk about licensing those, I think, you know, I look, I, I tried to get Charlie and, and Scott before they released TNA to kind of think about what we were doing. It, it didn't work out. And, you know, TNA is great. I, I bought a TNA. Uh, we've had a lot of problems with it. Um, and you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time fixing it and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, Scott and Charlie did, did an awesome thing. They, they took a, a white wood that was pretty awesome. They refined it. You know, Charlie got it out and fulfilled all those orders and, and kudos to them. And I, I put my money where my mouth is. I bought one. Right. right. Um, and so, uh, as we look at this process, um, we want to, uh, continue to, to look at those things as well and, and take care of them. Right. What internet connectivity is something that just keeps seeming like it's a it's a it's like innovation, even though everything we have in our lives is internet connected. Is that going to be part of the deep root package? Yeah, I think that and so many things that people go, why wasn't that done before? That just makes so much sense. I think those are things we had years ago. And while there have been some competitors and you're going to see that on launch day that might have beat us to the punch, I think that um, our approach to it. Um, I think will be a better approach and it will make more sense in a package of features rather than just this or that. Right. If, if you had to buy one new game today amongst what's currently available, and I know you, you're a player and a collector, Robert, and you enjoy pinball. Who do you think is making the most fun games right now? Or like, what's the best game you've played recently that at least you full, you enjoyed, even though you might want to change stuff in this now, but what, what game do you say to your designers and like, this is fun, like let's capture the fun of this game, but we can do better with innovation? Yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, I don't know uh, if I've had the time to get out and play a lot of the more recent games like Wonka I have not played. Um, I, I bought uh, every other JJP game, so I probably one of these days will buy a Wonka. Um, of course, I, as I said, I already bought TNA. Uh, we have two Batman 66s that look like the, you know, the moon, uh, unfortunately, but they play well. Um, 
it's hard um, to talk about some of the others. I, I've heard lots of great things about Jurassic Park. I have not been able to play it. Um, I, I I really haven't bought a lot of Sterns. Uh, I really have been really motivated by a lot of what they've done and impressed by a lot of what they've done to to really go out and, and buy it. I mean, some of the artwork's nice, but I'm not going to buy a pinball machine for artwork. I'm right. going to buy it for you know the full package. And my problem is, is if I see a dimple, I'm a CD, and if I see a dimple on that play field, I know every game I'm going to buy out there, it's going to have it. I'm just going to drive me nuts that I paid all that money, and and I'm every time I go up to play, I'm just going to see the moon. Right. And so for me right now, it's it's a big problem in buying you know other uh, other manufacturers just because I know that one thing alone is just going to drive me nuts. Real quick on the artwork comment because you must see that these companies have been able with artwork alone, right, to sell games and to sell more expensive versions of games without changing anything mechanically. Are you still aiming, though, to have some of the most beautiful pinball machines ever released from an artistic standpoint? You know, that, that that's almost like an impossible thing to, to do or ask, right? I mean, because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, it, it has been very difficult. Uh, you know, I look, I, I disagree with Christopher Franchi's description, you know, on a recent podcast with you about about what happened. I'm not going to sit there and I'm, I'm not going to say anything about it. Right. I wish Christopher the best. Um, and I think his artwork is amazing. He's a very talented individual. And um, that's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, what we've tried to do is is try to take from the greats um, that have put some great artwork out there, but but really do our own thing. And we have a lot of very talented people in Deep Root Studios, who I think have gotten, you know, what the core art uh, requirements are for um, a pinball machine and tried to make it their own. And so I think that with Raza, uh, we built upon, and that's why it's a hack job, we built upon what other artists in pinball did. And so it was easy to follow that template and that theme. But I think our second and third and fourth and, and so on, those titles is going to be a good a good measure of, of whether um, what Deep Roots art style will be and whether we measure up. Now, some people are going to like it. Some people are not. But let me tell you what, I don't want anyone buying my machine because just because of art. I would actually take offense to that. Uh, I want them buying it because it's the best value for the buck and they can't stop playing it. And they they want to part with their hard earned money uh, to put that Deep Root machine in their house. That would make me happy. But right. buying one of our machines for artwork, I would be very, very upset if I heard someone say that. Is there any concern, Robert, that the market is becoming oversaturated with the amount of companies and titles? Sure, I think I think um, I think that uh, I, I, I want to stick away from talking about tactics of competition, and I'll say this: is that uh, I think a lot of money has been unnecessarily spent over the last few years. I think space is very limited now, and I think that we're heading towards some economic, uh, you know, um, turmoil eventually. Uh, you know, I, I would have guessed it would have been here already last year or this year, but who knows when we might see another downturn in the economy and you know money gets tight again. Uh, what we're trying to do is provide and anticipate that, and provide the best value for the buck. So when it happens, consumers can say, you know what, I could buy the latest you know, licensed or unlicensed title from this company. But, you know, m the best thing for my buck is a deep root machine. And so I'm going to spend my hard money there. 
And to some extent, you know, I think pinball is recession proof and I don't think that there's going to be a crash in pinball in the grand scheme of things. I just think that there's going to be um, some honest competition and consumers are finally going to have a choice about where to put their hard-earned money in. And I'm going to make the best uh, case that, that we can for me and my company that Deep Root is where that money should go. When you look at where you want your company to be size-wise, are, are you gunning for something as big as a Stern or Jersey Jack? We know you're already bigger than Spooky. So well, like Stern is very weak. Right. Stern is completely weak. Um, and their model is very precarious. Um, and I know that they'll completely laugh. Um, but when you build up a structure like that, you get weaker and weaker when that structure can't continue to be fed uh, in, in the same way that, that you've planned. And so we don't need to take away most what of the business. What do you mean, um, but what do you mean you know, by business. that? What do you mean by that? Uh, the bigger you get, the easier it is to fall. I mean, um, it's like building you know, a house of cards with an, with an unsteady uh, foundation, right? Uh, labor costs, fixed costs, um, you know, park costs, uh, you know, those are very, very painful when you have a throttling and a variability of sales. And you've seen that with a lot of, you know, not only there, but with JJP as well and why they suddenly brought out these new titles or rehashed old titles and, and brought them out new and why they suddenly brought something out early and stuff. Well, you just, you just see that in their actions, right? And so what we want to do is we don't even want to worry about that because we're focused on a very different value proposition, we're focused on different price points. We're focused on different themes and and different approaches to, to pinball. And so what we want to do is we want to be profitable on every title. We want people to enjoy and want to continue playing our games. And so when it comes to, you know, those comparisons and stuff like that, you know, I'm not really worried. I, I hope Stern continues to pound it and continues to sell the best they can and JTP and Spooky, you know, I, I don't. I don't see any benefit to anybody for those companies going out of business or for, for Deep Root to come in and crush them. Uh, I think that there's still plenty of a market and an opportunity for each of these companies to make the best darn argument they can to consumers and continue to innovate and to pound it. And I hope they, they when they see what we have, I hope that they, they go, wow, we need to catch up. Right. Or, wow, we need to do this, uh, you know, because it keeps all of us honest and it makes a better pinball market for, for consumers. And as we always say on this show, competition will always benefit the the consumer. And we will see products get better and better the more people that come into this hobby to disrupt and to innovate. Well, Robert, I really want to thank you for taking the time. I know you're not feeling 100%, so I really do appreciate uh, you spending an hour on, or hour, 10 minutes on Canada's Pinball Podcast. Um, we look forward to seeing the final product. I might have to get a plane ticket. Hopefully I'm on the, your little media list of, uh, for the deep root tour, uh, in March to see, uh, the reveal in the auditorium. Uh, and I know people are waiting, you know, to see the final package of, of Raza and to see what deep root pinball has in store for all of us. Any final words, Robert, before, uh, I let you go and recover. Yeah, this will be the last interview I do before launch. Um, and um, I appreciate uh, you you asking me on. We've always had great conversations. Um, and, you know, we, we have some good banter behind the scenes. Uh, I want to I wanna just say a couple things if you don't mind. I want to sure. thank all of the hardworking people at Deep Root, those who are still here and those that have left for other opportunities for everything they did to make Houston possible and everything they're doing behind the scenes to 
to, to, to drive innovation and have the passion to create the best pinball experience uh, that we can provide to consumers. I want to thank all of the pinball media out there for, uh, for the good comments and the bad comments. I even want to thank uh, even the, the, the most negative people in the world that, that mainly the reason why I just won't go to Pennside anymore um, because, you know, their negativity makes us stronger and it forces us to, to really keep, um, keep our eyes on the prize uh, and not be distracted. And, you know, most, most importantly, I want to thank the pinball uh, community out there for, for keeping pinball around uh, as a fin- vintage part of Americana. And we're going to do our best to, to have our little stake uh, in that community and do the best we can to, to come through with a, with a great launch. And lastly, I want to say um, something special to those Zidware customers who went through the, the, the claims process and decided uh, last July to, to trust in DeepRoot and to delay instead of take a cash out. I told you I would take care of you, and you better believe it's coming, and I'm going to take care of you in, in grand fashion with uh, VIP experiences for launch uh, and for, for TPF and for getting uh, what most people won't get and, and behind the scenes um, a look at, um, at what we're doing. And I, I'm very grateful for, for those that were um, claimants for, for trusting in us and, and being willing to, uh, to be patient with us as we get everything ready to go. Can I get one of those VIP passes because I bought a Magic Girl for $23,000? <laughs> I think that we're going to be handing out uh, quite a few VIP passes to those people who, to quite a few people who will be attending TPF next year. I've spoken to Ed about it and he's stoked about uh, what we want to do with the VIP room and um, more will be discussed on that later. Well, Robert, I think that was well said and, and, and thank you again for coming on. Um, and you heard it here, people. The last interview before we see the big reveal of the Deep Root platform featuring Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland from John Papaduke Jr. Robert, thank you so much and have an amazing evening. Yeah, you too, Chris. Keep it up and uh, stay motivated and the uh, pinball community needs you. So um, I, I look forward to hearing uh, many more podcasts to come from you and, and all the other great podcasters out there who, who try very hard to, to make a great product. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.